Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. <clears throat> and today we're going to talk about what else? The COVID vax. So to help us understand some of the mechanics of that, uh, we are joined by Alex Mayer who is a vaccine injury person, but not the COVID vax. Um, this is something, that, or, uh, another, this is a previous injury she had 20 years ago. And we're going to discuss that in a moment, but she is um, the president of the chap California chapter of the Children's Health Health Defense. Board president. Okay. Board, oh, board president. president, sorry. Yeah. Board president of the Children's Health Defense uh, in California and um, has an extensive history of and she's well-trained, let, let her discuss some of her uh, formal education, but she's got an MBA, I believe, from Chicago. She's from Chicago, like me, too, interestingly. Now she's out in California. Uh, and um, so why don't you give, and you go into your history of your family heritage, because some people may not realize that you really are. Um, there's a, there's an important ancestor you have who's a, who's a Meyer. So... Um, why don't you state that and then we'll go into some of your, the details of your vaccine injury. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on your show, Dr. Mercola. I really appreciate it. So I'm Alex Meyer and you wanted me to talk a little bit about my family. I am from the hot dogs, bologna and bacon family. Oscar Meyer was really a real person. He was my great, great grandfather who came to the United States in the late 1800s and got a job as a butcher boy in Michigan and started his own meat store in Chicago on Sedgwick street. And then the rest is history. Everybody knows the products and the family sold the company to General Foods in 1981. Great. So, um, and then you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your educational history and then and merge, dovetail that right into the vaccine event that occurred. Sure. So I graduated from Duke University with a BA and then I graduated from Northwestern University with an MBA in finance and management strategy. I actually have a master's degree in management strategy. Um, then Apple moved me out to California where I've been um, for the last 25 plus years. And I was working at Apple and eventually in about my fourth or fifth year there, I'd been promoted to the acting manager of worldwide customer research when I was about 29. And during that time, I went on a vacation with my family to Bali. And I was told by my doctor, I had to go to travel medicine to see what they needed me to do to you know, protect me from all the scary illnesses that were supposedly in Bali. And so I rolled up my sleeve, I got six vaccines. They were hepatitis A vaccine, hepatitis B vaccine, diphtheria, tetanus, and oral typhoid. And because it took me 13 years to figure out what had happened to me, and it was really- Well, tell us what, what happened. Tell us what happened. I will. Well, I like to say I got a seventh shot called cognitive dissonance okay. because <laughs> it took so long to figure it out. I must've had something affecting my brain other than the vaccines, but the brain, the um, vaccines did affect my brain. Um, they gave me brain damage and total disability. I spent three years in my early thirties, 80% housebound. And I really, I didn't know if I was ever going to get better. Nobody had a diagnosis for me. And then I went through a whole bunch of diagnoses. I went through a lupus diagnosis, chronic fatigue syndrome, Lyme disease. And then ultimately none of those made sense. And none of the treatments made me any better until we put the pieces together and figured out that I was actually vaccine injured. It's just, it's literally just a cause and effect. Like if you look back at my history and you lay out my vaccine schedule, you can see that my health declined two weeks after I got the vaccines that I had encephalitis and encephalopathy and many, many other symptoms, digestive issues, hypersomnia, that means sleeping 16 hours a day, flu-like symptoms, a 24-7 migraine, joint pain, and digestive issues. And I really had no life at all in my early 30s until I went on the gluten-free diet. And that started the very beginning of my health recovery. And then I became a, an award-winning um, medical journalist um, with a bunch of different blogs and um, then a health consultant. And then in 2018, I retired from all that and joined Children's Health Defense. 
Well, great. But how did you find out that it was the vaccines? I mean, what was your journey to understand that and just, just finding the right physicians or I'm just curious as to how, yeah, how you made the connection. I had some suspicions early on, um, probably in the early 2000s, because that's when a friend of mine named Maureen. So really that long before you figured it out? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And she, her son um, got autism after his vaccines when he was about one and a half. And she's really bright. She went to Duke with me and she's an attorney and she sent me these books and she said, you have to read these. You're pregnant. You have to read these. And so I did. And I thought, wow, you know, I got to be careful with vaccines and my own kids, but I didn't, I didn't put it together for me that I was, you know, actually vaccine injured. And then it was interesting because a lot of the treatments that were helping kids with autism, a lot of it directed by Maureen, um, were actually helping me recover as well, like such as the gluten-free diet, as I already mentioned. And so that was kind of a clue that maybe I'd had the same um, instigating factor as mm -hmm. kids with autism. Um, and then finally, once I got the Lyme diagnosis, I was intermingled with a lot of doctors who knew a lot about vaccine injury, mm -hmm. and then they helped me finally put those pieces together. Okay, great. So interesting, the, um, Bobby also has a vaccine injury with his vocal dysphonia after, I believe it was after a flu shot, as we told me. So uh, it's, it's just amazing. And the reason I wanted to have you on and discuss this is uh, you, you've been challenged with this as many other people have. I've been uh, an advocate of vaccine, um, well, vaccine safety for sure, vaccine choice, not necessarily anti-vax as we're, we're almost always labeled, uh, but giving people the informed consent that they need for over two decades, probably two and probably almost coming up on three decades actually. Uh, and the current circumstances with this pandemic have made it really clear that we have to take a second look. And there's many individuals and prominent physicians who, who have taken up the banner now, such as Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone, uh, Steve Kirsch, and we've got Dr. Corey, who are relatively newcomers to the space, but they, at least they had enough objective discernment to understand that this new COVID jab is something completely different. But there was this was a problem before, and obviously um, the this jab is much more dangerous. It's the most dangerous uh, vaccine, quote unquote, in the history of of humanity. I mean, it's it literally what is the current statistics? It's more than ten times the amount of injuries from this vaccine in one year. It's not even been out for one year, as we're just talking. At it's least, and it has yeah. ten times more injuries than all other vaccines combined according to the VAERS database, which has started reporting in 1990. Right. So, so yeah, on average, since the database was um, enacted, there were 200 to 400 reports of death after vaccines for all other vaccines before 2020. Then when COVID shots hit the market just in 2021, we have almost 20,000 deaths reported after COVID shots and then almost a million injuries. That's a hundred times. Mm -hmm. and, and that's assuming the, that that, is the actual number that are being reported, but we know of course that many, many cases are not being reported or even the ones that are somehow disappear from the database. Right. So then they can get replaced with mild injuries or not, not replaced at all, but the record numbers are still there for some reason. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. So, um, so I, I, the, the point I wanted to make with this is that really this is bringing awareness to the vaccines in general. And I think, of course, most of the focus and attention is, is on the biggest, biggest one, the biggest problem, because that's when you have a triage and emergency is the one to, to, to look at, but it's, it, it's all the childhood vaccines are culprits. You, and you have to evaluate the risk to reward ratio in each and every one of them. With the COVID jab, there is just absolutely no choice at all that there's just never almost never ever ever any reason to get this especially for younger so i mean and it doesn't take long to figure this out objectively even though the media is heavily censoring most of the materials that would allow you to truly make an informed consent it's still out there it's just on platforms that aren't censored so in so i just wanted to make that point and the other component though is that I wanted you to review, and you put together a really nice slide presentation, 
of uh, the deception and the fraud that is being used to justify this, because you can make a very compelling argument that the reason that they uh, essentially vilified every other alternative to the vaccine was the to maintain this emergency use authorization label or uh, designation is the best term for the vaccine because without it they wouldn't have any liability that's the whole thing because they're getting this off scot-free and they and all the childhood vaccines are scot-free because the cdc authorizes them but they they have they i don't understand exactly why they are unable to authorize this one because it seems that they're so full of fraud i mean when they authorized the use of the covid jab for the five to 11 year olds unanimously yeah. <laughs> against an advice of their own advisory committee. Uh, you know, that's such obvious fraud because these, all these people on the panel were essentially conflicted and paid consultants for the, the, vac the vaccine manufacturers. It, it's, I don't understand why they just see, they couldn't just get the CDC to approve this. So do you, before we delve into the, how they're manipulating this with fraud, do you have any idea how they're why they just don't make it legal like they like they pass the five to 11 year old? Uh, yeah, I think um, for a couple reasons. One is that the clinical trials are not over. They're not due to be over until the end of 2022 and early 2023. Um, and then the second reason is I don't think they want the scrutiny on the science right now because it's really not looking very good. I mean, every week that goes by the science stacks up more and more on the side of this being more harmful than it is beneficial. So I think those are the, the two reasons I would say why they haven't fully approved this. And I want to make sure everybody understands the difference between authorized and approved, because mm -hmm. those words sound like synonyms, but if you're the FDA, they're not. Mm -hmm. um, authorized is short for emergency use authorization and approved means full approval or fully licensed. So we have to be by really the, by the And that's times with the FDA or this and then the, the then the second part of that is the CDC recommended as part of the schedule. That's the word. The CDC other, another level of, of protection. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a it's a combination of steps. So why don't you walk us through that? Because once you understand it, it becomes really clear what the heck is happening. Exactly. Okay. I'd be happy to do that. I'm going to share my slides now. Um, so yeah, I put together this slide deck all about emergency use authorization because there is so much confusion over this and what's really going on. And once you really understand like the genesis of emergency use authorization and the standards they have to meet in order to keep these products on the market, then you understand the behaviors that they're doing. Like they're really falling all over themselves to protect the emergency use authorizations for these products and also introduce other very confusing kind of approvals to um, get away with stuff. So let me just, I'll just start to clarify it right now. So, oh, let me do a slideshow. Okay. So first of all, um, this presentation is all about these three strangleholds that the vaccine makers and our government are never going to let go of. We can try, <laughs> can put a lot of pressure on them, but these are the things they are guarding with their lives. And first of all, they need to guard the emergency. And again, I'm going to go into detail on all this later, okay? And we'll come back to this, these concepts at the end. Um, they cannot have any early treatments. Those cannot exist. And they're going for full liability protection. And I like to call this how our children will be used as pawns to get them full liability protection so I'm going to go into detail on these things and all these three things that they're holding on to will become very clear why after we go through these slides. Okay. So first of all, vaccine makers love emergency use authorization products because they have this huge liability shield. So if you're injured by an EUA vaccine, you can't sue the manufacturer. You can't sue the person who gave it to you. You can't sue the institution where you got the shot. You can't. And you have to go through something called the CICP, which, which is the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, where they'll only cover unpaid medical expenses and probably only for pharmaceuticals and lost wages only. And in my case, if you're vaccine injured, let me tell you right now, you are not going to be using pharmaceuticals because they do not work for vaccine injury. They will mm -hmm. make you sicker and you'll be on two dozen pharmaceuticals before you know it and you're going to be sick from those. They do not work. The only thing that's going to get you better if you're vaccine injured is natural treatments. All the quote unquote witch doctor stuff that everybody disparages, 
the kind of stuff that Dr. Mercola knows all about in a very professional way, backed by science, that's the kind of treatment you're going to need. And that's not even covered, even if you were to get compensation. And everybody I know with chronic illness, whether it's a child or an adult who has chronic fatigue syndrome, vaccine injury, Lyme disease, they're paying $50,000 out of pocket per year. And so if you can't work and you have to pay for your own treatment like that out of pocket, I don't know how you'd ever get by. I mean, people suffer like crazy. They lose homes. They go into bankruptcy. Anyway, yeah. that's well, let, let's go into a little more history of the, the injury compensation programs, because the first one was in 1986. Correct. The, the, um, it's the NICP or no, VICP. VICP, yeah. FXC Injury Compensation Program. And that initially started, actually a friend of mine, Barbara Lowe Fisher, was part of the, uh, implementing that and through her group. NVIC was the one that kind of lobbied for that to happen, but they butchered it and whittled it down. And the VARES database was also a consequence of that law. And they're, they're, uh, which happens to be one of the best databases in the world, even though it's not well, not implemented very well. But anyway, that was 1986, <coughs> I believe, excuse me, this countermeasures program. <coughs> and actually the word countermeasures probably refers to the fact that it uh, was implemented as a result of 9-11 from bi the biowarfare uh, uh, tech protection measures. You got it. So, and I think it was like 2004 or five, somewhere in there. Um, so, and I don't believe maybe the there was an anthrax vaccine that was under this program, but that may have been the only one. There's no other vaccines that have been uh, approved or not, not approved have this authorization. EUA, right. And I do go into the anthrax vaccine in a few slides. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Okay. So those uh, are the so two yeah. you're talking about. Maybe compare the VICP, which is the night from the running TA6 to this one, which this is much, much worse. They, I mean, it, yeah. it, they, they had whittled down the VICP to virtually nothing, but they made this, they, they got really clever when they implemented this one. That, yeah, they really did. Yeah, the VICP, um, they deny, I believe it's two thirds of claims and it's really a brutal process. They, um, make you really jump through a whole bunch of hoops. The government will pay for your lawyer, but you have to pay for your expert witnesses, which can run, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a piece. And they make it very difficult for you. They can drag these cases out over years. And then if you do end up um, getting compensation um, for a death or what have you, they don't pay it out in one, one lump sum. They pay it out year by year. And they pretty much hope that whoever is injured is actually going to die of their injuries before they get compensated. That's been said to me a bunch of times by people who've been through the horrible process. Now the CICP, they only have compensated 3% of claims. And so far there've been no approvals for claims for COVID injuries, COVID shot injuries. Even though, even though we have at a minimum, well, close, was it 20,000 deaths now in VAERS? 20,000 reported, but um, reported, the underreporting right, factor is huge. We don't right. know what the underreporting factor is. It could be by a hundred underreported, a factor of a hundred, by a factor of um, of seven and a half, or it could be by a factor of forty-one, according to uh, research done by Steve Kirsch and his team. Yeah. And Jessica so Rose, way higher it, than what's in there. Je Jessica Rose puts it at thirty-one. Some of the whistleblowers at the CDC put it at five. So it's a minimum of five, somewhere between five and forty. I doubt that it's a hundred times, but yeah, it's it's. So if it's five, we've killed a hundred thousand people from COVID shots. Yeah, yeah, a hundred thousand, and not one. Not one person has been compensated or family has been compensated. Nope. And, and the CDC to this day still states that no one, there have been zero deaths from this jab. Zero. They can't they maintain that. That, that yeah. is completely it's just It's the most absurd response that you could possibly imagine. It's, it's, you can't make this stuff up. No, you can't. And, and Dr. Mercola, children are dying now of heart attacks. I just oh, heard God. over the weekend it's... of a, a fourth grader who died of a heart attack in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I heard of a 14 year old who dialed, died while sledding in Minnesota. I mean, it's, this doesn't it, happen. It, it's gonna happen a lot more, a lot more. I mean, that's why I was in tears when they, they, author, they authorized this for the five to 11 year olds. It's awful. It, it, and it, gonna... it was killing, needlessly killing helpless and innocent children. I and mean, that's one of the worst crimes of humanity. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's keep going. So um, I made this slide to explain like the three phases that the vaccine manufacturers see that they're gonna be going through. Right now, the products, as you know, are under emergency use authorization. And so I'm gonna evaluate each of these stages for their liability and whether or not things can be mandated. And under EUA, the manufacturers, as we said, have no liability. It's also illegal to mandate an EUA product because it's considered investigational. And we're gonna go into that in a minute. Um, the next phase of this would be um, full licensure or full approval. And then they do have liability and mandates are legal, but they don't like this scenario either because they don't want to have liability because they know how no. injurious these things are. They'd be sued out of business. Like it would go out of business. I mean, unless they get some sweet deal like the Sacklers did with the Oxycontin. Right. They're all looking for the sweet deal. So I'm going to get into the sweet deal. They tried to pull over on us in a minute, but then like there's this third level where these vaccines can be fully licensed and approved. And once they're put on the children's schedule due to the 1986 act that Dr. Mercola just mentioned, they have no liability and they can mandate them. A mandated product with no liability. So that's what they're going for. This is the holy grail if you're a vaccine manufacturer of a COVID vaccine right now. You wanna be fully licensed, but not put it on the market until you get it on the children's schedule. And the approval on the children's schedule is done by the CDC. Um, yes, well, the, um, the, FDA, the FDA will give it an approval and then the CDC recommends yeah, but, it for different yeah. age groups and different demographics. Right. I can't, the CDC can't approve until the FDA does, but without the, the FDA can approve it. The CDC doesn't write the recommendation. It's not going to happen, but they're, they're lockstep. It's oh, they just, are. It's they an are. absolute and, rubber, they're rubber stamp agencies now. Right. And the FDA bought and sold or bought and paid for by the, by the drug companies. Yeah, they're, they're, both, um, they're both captured agencies and the FDA, uh, we think 45% of its budget is paid for by pharmaceutical companies. So they can't bite the hand that feeds them. So um, as I mentioned before, EUA vaccines, they're investigational and that's a synonym for experimental. The word experimental ties it directly into the Nuremberg Code, which says that we cannot be experimented on. We always have the right to accept or refuse a medical treatment. And that was enacted after World War II. Now that's not a law, um, but it's a code under which the whole world is supposed to be operating by. And it is actually codified into some local and federal laws as well. Yeah, it's not enforced, but the I believe the U.S. and many most of the countries of the world ratified this treaty in the 40s. Yep. Uh, but the, unfortunately, there's no enforcement provisions. <laughs> right, because it's not a law. It is parts of it are codified into laws. Thank goodness, but um, the Nuremberg Code itself is not a law. Um, and and EUA vaccines they cannot be mandated, which we already said. You always have the right to refuse without suffering consequences. Now, I wanna dive a little deeper into this word consequences because I feel like this is the EUA word of the year, if not like the outright word of the year. So there's a case um, regarding the anthrax vaccine in the military, it's called Doe versus Rumsfeld. And Dr. Mercola mentioned this earlier, the anthrax vaccine, it was EUA and also considered an investigational new drug because the vaccine, the anthrax vaccine was developed for skin contact anthrax not inhalation anthrax against which it was ineffective anyway. So they were mandating that the military get this vaccine. Mm -hmm. And there is a um, military personnel named Major Bates who brought this case. And he said that about 5% of his um, troops had Gulf War type illness after the anthrax vaccine. And it was considered injurious. So most of the troops did not want to get it. And so um, the military personnel actually won this case and it was, um, it was uh, ruled that the EUA vaccine for anthrax could not be mandated on the military. They had the choice. Now, later they actually got it fully approved and it's, I believe it's never been mandated again in the military from my research last night. Um, that's, that's my belief right now. I could be wrong on that, but um, they later did get it fully approved. Anyway, so in this case, this is the really important thing. This is why I'm talking about this right now. The word consequences was adjudicated to mean medical consequences only. That is a natural consequence of not wanting to get a vaccine. You could get the illness for which you didn't want to get the vaccine. That's a medical consequence. It's a natural consequence. Consequences did not mean punitive consequences. It didn't mean job loss. It didn't mean dishonorable discharge from the military. It didn't mean that you had to work from home or learn off-site. It was just medical consequences only. So then- yeah, it's even, even worse. I think Biden, I don't know what happened to it, but I recall about a few weeks ago where he 
said that any of the special forces like the Green Beret and, and the Delta forces that, that chose not to get jabbed were not only discharged, they would be forced to pay for all their training, which is well in excess of a million dollars each. I did not know that. Yeah. And I don't know what happened to that, that if they just decided to go forward with it or not, because a lot of this <laughs> crazy it is. dictates have been overturned. Nothing shocks me anymore. So um, what everybody needs to know is that coercion and duress are considered de facto mandates. And in legal terms, de facto means that it's basically the same as an outright mandate. Um, it's illegal medical segregation, medical apartheid, that's illegal. So if you go to a restaurant and they demand your vaccine passport and they only let you eat outside and they might not let you use the bathroom, <laughs> that's medical segregation. That is illegal. And I do not support businesses that do that. And you shouldn't either. Um, any access privileges that are different between the vaccinated and unvaccinated, those are also illegal. And any visual indication of vaccine status, like a sticker or a bracelet or, you know, God forbid, a star or something like that, that's also illegal because that creates segregation and medical apartheid. Um, the other really the main point I want to make here also, the second point is that mass violation of the law does not make something legal. If we all drove 100 miles an hour on Interstate 80, would we watch the speed limit signs suddenly change to uh, 100 miles per hour? No, it's not going to happen. Mass violation of the law has never made anything legal. And just because schools and businesses and our government is, are mandating these shots, it doesn't make it legal. It's all illegal. Yeah, let's just make a point here, though. We need to go back to the other slide. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry, right there. Yeah, the, uh, the fact that they're illegal doesn't mean that they can't do it. You know, people will still be fired from their job, even though it is illegal. You know, you, you could have a legal course of action mm -hmm. once this progresses and, and win pretty clearly. But right now they're getting away with it, especially because the administration supports this illegal action. That's right. That's right. And that's what they're hoping. Like you really, this is not my crime, as Reiner Fielmick likes to say, but you have to think like a criminal. They know full well it's illegal to mandate these things. President Biden knows full well it's illegal, but what they're counting on is that the court cases overturning their illegal mandates will take a while. And in that interim, people are gonna be scared enough to get the shots that they're just gonna do it. And unfortunately it's worked. Yeah, and I think there's been three decisions on already and every one of them has overturned these, these mandates which were forcing employers with more than hundred employees to, to mandate it. Exactly. And uh, I just, it, just a few days ago, I heard Google was gonna fire people, their employees if they weren't mandated because <laughs> you know, making the assumption that it was it was fully uh, it was an un unconstitutional. So they're just using that as an excuse. Exactly. Yeah, and they're they're opening themselves up to huge liability. I mean, what if mm -hmm. all the employees get together and sue their employer? They all could be sued out of business. Um, so this word consequences, the story goes a little bit deeper because the Department of Justice they attempted to redefine the word consequences just for COVID. And so they put out what they call a slip opinion on July 6th in 2021. And I call it a very tortured opinion piece because it redefined the word consequences to mean punitive consequences like job loss or a separated working or learning location. But this word, this type of consequence, a punitive consequence, that's never been adjudicated. That's not in any law. This is just an opinion from the DOJ and it absolutely means nothing except it came from our DOJ. So people give it a lot of authority. Um, and they also stated twice, and this is so hard to understand because it's just beyond reason. They also stated twice that the right to accept or refuse an EUA product is purely informational. And I have to say that like three times for people to understand it. Literally, you can read that your right to accept or refuse the product is there and you could die by taking it, but it's purely informational. You cannot act on it. That's what the DOJ says. Again, it's not adjudicated. It doesn't mean anything. It's an opinion, but they did this just for COVID. So you're starting to see yeah, the so this, this, this didn't go through a legal process, but it nope. appears that it is legal because obviously it's the United States Department of Justice. So it should Correct. be have some hold some legal weight, but it's just their opinion. Correct. It holds no legal weight at all. So as you said before, these mandates are starting to be overturned. So here's an article on children's health defense where we talk about how OSHA 
suspends Biden's employer vaccine mandate following a court order in the Fifth Circuit Court. Then, um, and that's that's how he was planning to implement these. It was because he he does not have the authority to do this. He has to do it through state agencies because the fed, the feds can't do this. So exactly. indirectly, he was doing it through OSHA, which is a state agency, and he they were supposed to administer this administer this mandate. Exactly, exactly. And then the Senate actually voted to repeal the Biden vaccine mandates for employers by fifty two to forty eight, and two Democrats actually joined the Republicans yeah. to overturn this. That was Amazing. surprising. But, but encouraging. And then, oh, wait a minute. There we go. I thought I had one more. Oh, and then the appeals court also refused to put Biden's vaccine mandate for healthcare workers back into effect. Um, it's it only applies. The order only applies now to Alaska, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. Um, it's very confusing. I mean, there's so many other decisions around these things. I'm just highlighting. You know, it's particularly surprising because. It was my understanding from Francis Boyle, who's, who's a uh, emeritus professor of law at the University of Illinois and been around a long time, actually wrote the bio, the uh, COVID, not the COVID, the bioweapon treaty that in the 80s. But it was his impression that most of the federal judges were essentially captured and that this is their their way through the system is that they, they, they've been doing this for, it took them decades to do this. And I, I was really shocked when these things went through. I just, I don't know how they found judges to, to, to actually hold up to the truth and really make a, a, a true and honest decision. I thought they were all captured, but I'm yeah. glad to see they weren't. <laughs> Me too. Well, we found out just how captured they are in California, Dr. Mercola. We, at the California chapter of Children's Health Defense, we filed a suit against Governor Newsom for speaking out of both sides of its mouth, of his mouth. On the one hand, he's saying it's an emergency, we have to lock down, and oh, it's Christmas, you can't be with your family, you have to stay in your own house. And on the other side of his mouth, he's saying to all these businesses who's, who are suing him for losses of business, business closure, loss of income, he's saying, oh, you know, those cases are all moot. It's not an emergency anymore. Both those things were in writing. So we filed a case with the Supreme Court of California to um, adjudicate that and say, you know, which is it, Gavin? Is it an emergency or is it not an emergency? And things are so corrupt that Gavin's team had 10 days to respond to this complaint Day seven, before Gavin's team has done anything, the Supreme Court of California gets back to us, dismisses the case without even looking at it. And no surprise. You can't make this stuff up. Right. right. So, okay, so let's dive into why, they're, why are they doing all this? So there are four standards that are needed to get an EUA product approved. The first mm -hmm. one is that the Secretary of Health and Human Services has to declare and maintain a state of emergency. If the emergency were to go away, all EUA products would have to come off the market. And that doesn't just mean vaccines. All the testing is EUA, the PCR tests are EUA, and the surgical masks are EUA as well. Everything would now, have to come off if there's no emergency. It, so this is a federal declaration. Can this, can this, I believe the state or municipalities can also declare their own independent emergencies. I believe that's true, yeah, because um, so Florida, yeah. Florida has has backed off of the emergency, right? What's the status in Florida? Well, I believe DeSantis has made it illegal to enforce any attempt to enforce these, these mandates or masks uh, at the state level. So I think that that's superseding this, but but I, I'm just a little bit confused because all of this doesn't really make any sense. And they're, they're just abusing the, 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 the reason that these uh, efforts and efforts initiatives were initially developed. And they're, right. they're, using, they're, they're using it for nefarious purposes. That's so right. anyway, this, this is a federal declaration of an EUN. Correct. Yeah, this is straight from the FDA. So this is federal. So the next one is the evidence the, of effectiveness. The, okay, the FDA is a subset of the HHS. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So the evidence of effectiveness is that it may be effective. You know what that means, Dr. Mercola? For other vaccines before COVID came along, the, um, the efficacy threshold had to be 70% as measured by a fourfold increase in antibody levels in someone before and after they got a vaccine. For EUA vaccines, maybe effective means 30 to 50% effective. But in the case of the COVID shots, and I'm not gonna go into depth on this unless you want to. No, no, and it's interesting because they bastard, not only that, did they lower the standard, but they, they use absolute, they use the relative, relative risk. 
as opposed to absolute. So right. <laughs> it totally distorts it. So 95, this is 100% effectiveness may mean that if you have 20,000 people who got the vaccine and, and 20,000 who didn't, and in that group that got the vaccine was one, one person who caught COVID and the group that didn't get two persons. So that was 100% effectiveness. And they'll use that to say, to confuse people, say so the, the vaccine is 100% effective. And, exactly. and, and statistically, they are correct. I mean, mathematically, it's a correct statement, but it's a, but rationally, the average person, 99% of the people hearing that would seem to complies complete absolute protection when it all only reduces the risk at a very tiny level. It's, it's actually far less than 1%. Exactly. The absolute risk. Right. The absolute risk is far less than 1%. In fact, in the Pfizer study, I think it was like a 0.6% risk. 0.6 of 1% risk of getting COVID while you were in the study if you didn't have a COVID shot. Yeah, so I, I would update that, that too. And then put, put another, another bullet point in confusion of the, uh, the relative versus absolute risk. Yeah. Because that, that's just about, I mean, that allows them. I mean, even with that minimal threshold, they still don't make it. Exactly, exactly. It's just, it's insane. And I remember an analysis from very early um, in lockdowns. I never call it COVID. I just call it lockdowns. But mm -hmm. um, I remember an analysis um, that Del Bigtree went over on the high wire. And he said, if you add it back, all the probable cases of COVID to the clinical trials, the effectiveness went down to 19 to 29%. Very interesting. Okay. So now the next one is that the known and potential benefits of the product outweigh the known and potential risks of the product. And I, I feel like this one is so squirrely and like everything having to do with vaccines, they overplay the ben benefits and they downplay the risks on purpose to manipulate this one. So that one has been completely manipulated. And it's probably also a weak point as we get more science showing how dangerous these vaccines are. Well, every yeah. one of these points have been manipulated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> none of them. They, none of them. Real. Uh, if the if they were abiding by truthful standards, none of these these criteria would be met. None. Exactly. Now the last one I've boxed also because this is the other super important one. There can be no adequate, approved, and available alternative. That includes drugs, and that includes vaccines. So let me go to the next slide. So I'm just going to. Yeah, and, and just go back to the, the last slide. Okay. Because the, if any one of those points are, or criteria aren't met, then the EUA doesn't exist. Correct. Which is why they I made it into everyone. a stool right. graphic. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, Dr. Mercola. This is a four legged stool. It can't stand on three legs. It can't stand on two legs. It can't stand on one leg. If any one of these legs goes away, you have to take your EUA products all off the market. And so, you know, there's the emergency, there's no alternatives, it's 30 to 50% effective, and the benefits have to outweigh the risks. You take any one of these legs away, and the vaccines are gone off the market by law. And I, I put emergency and alternatives in red, because those are the two of those things, remember mm -hmm. I said in the beginning, two of those things that they have a stranglehold on, those are the two things they are guarding like crazy. So um, the state, so the state of emergency, I'm going to go into depth on those two things. It must be maintained to keep e-way products on the market, as I said, which means that every variant that comes out, they have to make it sound super scary to keep the emergency going. So the variants serve a purpose. You got to think about these variants in the context of this crime where they really have to keep the emergency going to keep their products on the market. And so you would think this emergency would stop maybe when we get to herd immunity Maybe if we get 90% vaccination uptake, maybe COVID's just going to go away like smallpox did in the early 1900s and only 5% of people were vaccinated or like scarlet fever did when we didn't have a vaccine for scarlet fever. Maybe it'll just go away. But no, it's going to go away when the shots get full approval and the manufacturers get a full liability shield. That, that, and that is a prediction. You can bank on that one. That's yeah. the, that, it will not go away before then. There's no way. Correct. Um, now, just diving deeper on the, the, I like to call them the four A's, that no adequate, available, and approved alternatives. As I said, it applies to both drugs and vaccines. If there's a fully approved product with a, quote, adequate supply, all EUA shots have to be pulled. This is why hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were quashed. This is why the protocol that Steve Kirsch spent a million dollars investigating that actually works and includes something called fluvoxamine and a couple other drugs, it works. That was quashed also, and he was incredulous that he spent all that money and proved that his protocol worked and they quashed it. They don't care. 
Um, and this also, and we're going to get into Comirnaty later in a couple slides. This is why Comirnaty is not treated as a fully approved product in the US, because if it were, then all the other vaccines are EUA, they'd have to come off the market. Yeah, that is the, the Comirnaty, for those who don't know, it's the Pfizer vaccine. No, no, it's the BioNTech. That's what they want you to okay, think. Biotech. Oh, you confused me. So is, is the, are they their partners with Pfizer? Um, so BioNTech and Pfizer partnered to um, do the Pfizer vaccine. Yes. But then I'm going to go into the detail about Comirnaty and, and the Comirnaty quasi approval is just for BioNTech. It doesn't have to do with Pfizer. And this is why I'm doing this presentation, because I'm going to explain what the heck is going on with that. Okay. So um, this is a race to get liability protection. Remember, that's the other stranglehold mm -hmm. that they want. They really want to get this liability protection. So once the COVID shots are fully approved, the manufacturer has full, full liability. So there's all this confusion about Comirnaty, as we just talked about. Was it fully approved? Is it on the market? Is it interchangeable with the Pfizer shot? And does it make COVID shot mandates legal? And does anybody know the answers to these questions? It's all the same answer. Yep. One it has two letters. <laughs> yeah, it has two letters. It starts with an N and ends with an O. No, 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 no. Okay, so let's let's go into that. So the FDA issued an intentionally confusing biological license application approval for Comirnaty. It was an unprecedented approval to both license the Comirnaty shot saying it's, quote, interchangeable and, with the, and the BLA. What's, what's the BLA? Um, biological license approval. Okay. For biologic license approval. Um, they said it's interchangeable with the Pfizer shot, but they also said it's legally distinct. But in that same approval, they retained the vaccine's liability shield by designating it EUA as well. And you know from that chart I put up in the beginning why they did this. Mm -hmm. They want it to be fully approved, but they want the liability protection. So they did this BS dual approval. So it's licensed to be... This is from the exact language from the BLA and the link is in the bottom here. Um, it's licensed to be manufactured and introduced into state commerce and marketed, but it's not licensed to be given to anyone. And it's not available in the United States. I've gotten reports it's available in the UK, New Zealand and other places. It is not available in the United States because they are really scared of liability. So now are you ready for this one, Dr. Mercola? The BLA sure. actually states that Comirnaty is only, quote, ready for approval. It never says it's approved in the entire document. And they buried this language in a pediatric section to confuse people even more. And so here's what they said. They say, we are deferring submission of your pediatric studies for ages younger than 16 for this application because this product is ready for approval for use in individuals 16 years of age and older, and the pediatric studies for younger ages have not been completed. Why did they do this? Yeah, unpack that for us because it's really interesting. And it's 16, yeah. 16 is an important number instead of 18. Dr. Mercola, you're right. 16 is a very important number. You would think the age break would be 18 and up because maybe they're just going to just do adults. That's a very typical age break for everything else that we do in this country. You know, laws like you can vote when you're 18, um, you can drink when you're 21. Why 16? 16 is a really odd number. Maybe that's the age you can drive a car. But the reason they did 16 is because then. 16 and 17 year olds are still on the children's vaccination schedule. You guys getting this? So if they, if they write the CDC recommends the shot for ages 16 and 17, that's considered to be on the children's schedule. And then the manufacturer gets full liability protection. And that's why this is ready to be approved for 16 and up and not 18 and up. Very clever and sneaky. Very clever. <laughs> So here's the fact sheet from Comirnaty and the link is down here. Um, so the fact sheet language says this EUA for the Pfizer BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine and Comirnaty, and this is, this is misleading. So let me, I'll keep unpacking this. This will end when the secretary of HHS determines that the circumstances justifying the EUA no longer exist, or when there's a change in the approval status of the product such that an EUA is no longer needed. This is referring to Comirnaty. They're mm -hmm. saying it's EUA. And the more fact sheet language, what if I decide not to get Comirnaty or the Pfizer BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine? It says under the EUA, it's your choice to receive or not receive the vaccine. Should you decide not to receive it, it will not change your standard medical care. Nobody's experiencing that. Remember the tortured DOJ opinion and the mandates for employers? So the fact sheet 
it also says it's interchangeable with the Pfizer shot, yet it's also legally distinct. I mean, could this be more confusing, Dr. Mercola? Yeah. It's, I don't all, think it, it's all intentional. But the courts are weighing in. So guess what? A federal judge just rejected the DOD claim that Pfizer, EUA, and Comirnaty vaccines are interchangeable. They're not interchangeable. So that means that the Comirnaty vaccine is still EUA. It doesn't have full approval and it's not on the market. And then military members um, involved in a lawsuit, they're challenging the military's COVID vaccine mandate. And they filed an amended complaint seeking a, seeking a new injunction after the judge last month rejected their assertion that the Pfizer, BioNTech and Comirnaty COVID vaccines are interchangeable. So they're, we're, we're still hammering on this legally. Um, but a court has ruled, I think it was the Fifth Circuit Court ruled, they're not interchangeable. So how do we know that Comirnaty is not being treated as fully approved? Here's a, almost like a top five list. The approval states you have the right to accept or refuse the product. That means it's EUA. It's not available in the US because Comirnaty doesn't have liability protection. It's an alternative. So if it were available, it's an alternative and all other EUA shots would have to come off the market. Um, number four, the CDC advisory group, ACIP, um, Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, would have to recommend it for ages 16 to 18, and the CDC would have added it to the children's recommended schedule. That's how we know it's not fully approved and on the market. Now, here is the label for um, Comirnaty, and here it says it's emergency use authorization. It doesn't say it's fully approved because it's not, but look at this. Look at this safety information. They are recognizing that myocarditis and pericarditis have occurred in some people who've received the vaccine more commonly in males under 40 years of age than among females and older males. So this is saying that young men are getting heart inflammation. And what we know from all the anecdotal reports we see in here, like the 300 athletes who've just literally like died or collapsed on the field and children in schools who are dying of heart attacks, that's what's going on here. And the reason they have to declare this is because they know it, they know it's happening. And that's the only way they can be sued is if they know there's a problem with their vaccine and they don't declare it. So they declare it here in very mild language as if it's not that big of a deal, but it's a very big deal. It sure doesn't look like a black box warning to me. No, it should be. It should be. Yeah. People are dying from this. Yep. Young people are dying, not old people, young people. Young people who have a 99.9973 chance of recovering from COVID. So here we go here. We have um, in Reuters, I'm just using this because it's a mainstream media source. They say there are eight reports of heart inflammation among young children to VAERS. There's a whole lot more than that. We know that for sure, but this yeah. is in Reuters. Um, it's, in that's only, that's in the, it's in the US and that's literally two weeks after they started uh, injecting them. Exactly. When they say young kids, I'm assuming it's under 12. Probably, I don't actually yeah. know. Yeah. Um, let's see, next slide. Um, so, and finally, how will Comirnaty get on the market? Only when one thing happens, when it's fully approved, the CDC will add the shot to the children's schedule, even if it's only recommended for ages 16 and 17. And the holy grail is that any shot on the CDC's recommended schedule for children gets full liability protection according to the 1986 act. This is why they're going after our children when they have a 99.9973% recovery rate. And that concludes our presentation. Oh, except I want to tell everybody something. By the book. Junior, he has published a best-selling book called The Real Anthony Fauci. It is unbelievably well-crafted and laid out, and it is so fully referenced. It's unbelievable. Even just the first chapter has 22 pages of references. Please, everybody, read this. Buy multiple copies. Give it to everybody on your holiday gift list, whether they want it or not. <laughs> it's a good book. Very good book. Bobby gave me a draft copy. I was like one of six or 10 people that got a copy before it was published. So I was able to write a review for it because of that. I put it on Amazon and now it's the number one review for his book on Amazon. So. Oh, incredible. Yeah. Good job. He, yeah. He wrote the, he wrote the forward for my book. So that was the least I could do for him. Uh, but with respect to this vaccine, um, obviously this is done for financial reasons. Do you happen to know Pfizer is the largest drug company in the world, I believe. Do you know what their most their best-selling product is, where they've made the most money from? What's the, in other yeah. words, what is the best-selling drug in the world? My guess would be Viagra. Well, 
That would not be correct, but it's a good no. guess. You know, the better <laughs> yes. guess would be, would be Lipitor statins, which oh. were, were the number, used to be the number one drug in the world, but they have been far eclipsed, far eclipsed by the COVID jab. Yeah. $37 billion profit, maybe profit, but revenues for Pfizer this year. 37 billion. That's sick. The, the number one selling drug in the history of the world. That's sick. And they, they were slapped Pfizer with the biggest criminal fine in history of $1.3 million before. Oh, no, no, so no, now no, they can no, pay no, that. no, 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 it, it was in the billions. <laughs> I'm sorry, billions. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> and I think it was, it was two, it was 2.3, you know, the well, total 2.3, but the criminal part of it was 1.3 billion. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, they're all criminals. Everyone, <laughs> Johnson and Johnson is, has it probably collectively over five billion dollars in charges. Merck with their Vioxx lawsuit that was two to three billion. They killed sixty thousand people, and I think Bobby in the book says it's even more. I was surprised because what because I, I that we actually published a, a, a warning for that drug Vioxx in in the year nineteen ninety nine before it was released into the population, and warned that taking this drug will, will likely kill people from heart attacks. And it did, it killed 60,000 people before they removed it from the market. And, uh, you know, they cleverly manipulated the ways of the legal system were able to avoid because they, they were thinking it was going to be a threat to their business, but collectively they should have had a $25 billion lawsuit, but they negotiated down to two to 3 billion. Right. And then Merck came out with the HPV vaccine, um, which is also very dangerous. One in 38 girls. That's right. Yeah, that was get an autoimmune disease within six or seven months. And the joke about um, HPV vaccine is it stands for help pay for Biox. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, what, what do you? What's your perception of uh, the most dangerous vaccine outside of COVID? Would it be Gardasil or Gardasil and hepatitis B? I would say go to the top yeah. of the list for me. Yeah. Not just because I was injured by hepatitis B, but um, most of the people I know who are vaccine injured, it was um, the adults where it was hep B or tetanus vaccine. Um, MMR is definitely associated with the onset of autism. Yeah, and, and the indications for the va those vaccines are more absurd, almost at least on par with the indications they're doing for COVID for kids. Because the, the I mean, I, I, I was just railed with anger when they did, they, re they launched this thing in 1990 because it was, I think it was 90, for infants, they give it to them on the first day of birth, first day, day one, right? when they're really susceptible to these injuries. And the justification was, well, we don't want them to get hepatitis when, when they get older. The only way you get hepatitis is through blood transfusion of contaminated blood or sex with an infected person now or potentially their mother could be infected so right. they wanted to guard against that they could just do a hepatitis screen on the mom they do it for a lot of other tests why don't they just add that to it instead of in injecting every newborn right and it. they do that screening in europe but they don't do it here and more than 99 percent of mothers do not have hepatitis b yet they're injecting every baby on day one I remember fighting to not get that stuck into my kids when they were born i had twins in 2002 and I was so exhausted from having been pregnant with twins on bed rest. And I was sick, as you know, while I was pregnant, um, that I finally relented and gave in. I felt very bullied into it and I regret it now. And the reason they mandated hepatitis B vaccine on children is, is for two reasons. One is because when you put it on the children's schedule, they get liability protection. And number two is they actually couldn't reach the drug addicts who they actually wanted to inject. So they just brought it into the hospitals for children. It's all criminal, but I think it's nothing is as egregious as the indication for this COVID jab to the kids under 12. The Bobby said, when I interviewed Bobby for his book, he made the claim and there's no reason to deny it because I haven't seen any data to support it otherwise. And he usually doesn't make claims like this unless there's a lot of data behind it, but that there has never been a death from COVID in any child that was healthy. Right, that's right. Zero deaths, zero deaths. That's right. So there could, it's impossible to have any benefit. If you have a healthy child, Yeah. I mean, it, it makes no sense why they're doing it. They don't even have one, not even one death. Right. 
No, there's been none in healthy children. Yeah, the, every medical intervention is a risk benefit equation and it, it doesn't even calculate for kids at all. They should never be getting COVID shots. They don't prevent transmission. They don't prevent cases. They don't prevent um, hospitalization or death. So there's no, no case for it. I, I remember listening to Dr. Cowan in an interview a couple of weeks ago and he said, he explains to people now, you know that these COVID shots don't prevent transmission, right? And the person will say, yeah, right. And so then he'll say, so why did you get it? And they'll say, oh, to protect my grandma. <laughs> Meanwhile, they've just <laughs> they know. Know. the shots don't prevent transmission. And how many kids are going to die protecting grandma? Well, they're not protecting to begin with, but under the apparent pretext of protecting grandma. Under pretext of protecting grandma. That's right. How many? So we're doing what we're doing everything we can at Children's Health Defense. We are um, litigators. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is our chief legal counsel, and there's so many amazing attorneys working at Children's Health Defense and the California chapter and all the so chapters. What are, what are some world. of your most exciting initiatives now? Um, well, we had just recently had a big win in California. Um, Los Angeles Unified School District is one of the biggest school districts in the country, and they were trying to send unvaccinated students into an off-campus independent study program called City of Angels, and we just got that overturned because the our, our, our lawyers argued so brilliantly. They said that if the school can determine if... Um, children get vaccines, then they can mandate any other treatment onto children as well. And to give them that power is um, that that would be illegal to give them that power, especially when, you know, you probably know this, you send your kid to school, they wouldn't even give your kid an aspirin without a note from the parent in writing. So the fact schools cannot mandate COVID shots. And that's a big source of confusion in California because a lot of schools are actually mandating COVID shots on their students. They don't have the authority. The school doesn't, the principal doesn't, the superintendent doesn't, the school district doesn't, they're all doing it. But the only authority who can actually do it is the Department of Public Health and they haven't done it because it's illegal. And there's some states I believe once the authorization for the five to 11 year olds got passed that were bribing kids at school with pizza and, and, and encourage, don't tell anyone that we're doing this. Okay, just keep it between you and me. And they give right. them a pizza and they jab them. Yeah, there was a woman who I think was on Tucker Carlson recently at the LA USD school district. And they injected her young child who was already very injured and in poor health to begin with, without her permission, they told him not to tell his parents and he got sick and all he wanted was a slice of pizza. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. That was in LA, that was in LA. No, okay. I believe it was. Yeah, and so Children's Health Defense, um, we sued the FDA over the approval of Comirnaty, so we expect that to go in our favor at some point. But legal cases take a long time. Oh yeah, yeah, years, many frequently. Yeah. So, well, that's good. So that's in, in any other um, irons in the fire with respect to likely victories down the down the road. Yeah, Children's Health Defense has, I, I think, probably two dozen cases going right now, at least. Wow. Um, wow. There's 11 cases against Merck for Gardasil because they actually covered up data in their clinical trials, um, which was found with a Freedom of Information Act request. And we have other cases around COVID, around um, masking and, um, and mandates. And we have a case against Rutgers. Um, there's a case in New York against Mayor de Blasio. Um, we have so many cases. It's, it's really amazing. I, I so Are you doing anything with the... Uh... The FOIA request for the FDA on the data that they said that we are so overwhelmed with FOIA requests that it's going to be 55 years, which is beyond shocking. And then they later said, wait, well, we reevaluate. It's actually going to be 75 years before we're able to comply with this. 75 years. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous if anybody's paying attention. Um, I don't know what we're doing with that at Children's Health, <laughs> but we're probably doing something that I'm just not aware of. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's, it's laughable. Yeah. It is. 75 years. It's like, it's, it's worse than the Kennedy assassination. I think Biden just released some papers on that, which was in 64. So is it 50, 50 years? It's over 50 years. It's more than 50 years. Yeah. 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 So what a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else you'd like to close with or, or give a, a recommendation for children's self-defense and how they could sign up and support them. Yeah, um, if 
if you're in the United States, um, go to childrenshealthdefense.org or anywhere around the world, go to childrenshealthdefense.org and you can um, become a lifetime member for $10. And that really helps us with um, standing in our legal cases because uh, the more people we, we represent, the stronger our cases are. And if you're in California, go to ca.childrenshealthdefense.org and you can become a member through our California chapter as well. Um, and then please buy the real Anthony Fauci. And again, give it to anybody on your holiday gift list, even people who don't want it, they need to read it. Yeah, it's really doing well in sales. Uh, I think it's currently number two or two or three, but it's been it's been in the top ten. It only slid down to nine for a few days, but most of the time it's been either one, two, or three. So it's it's got some legs on it, and I hope it continues to have some legs because the the information that revealed in there is very compelling and it's going to open a lot of people's eyes. But the the problem, the challenge with it, you give it to them on a silver platter, right? But the if Propaganda has been so effective in producing a mass delusional psychosis that it doesn't matter. You can tell them they can have their own relatives die in front of them with a shot in their arm. They'll think it's just a coincidence. Exactly. Yeah. They just think it's a coincidence. It's the, it, the most irrational, delusional perception of reality you can ever imagine. I agree. And, which is I always it. say um, the teaching will come when the student is ready. And there are a lot of students who aren't ready. And we also like to say everybody's like popcorn. Everybody's going to pop when they're ready. Some pieces never pop. Yeah, yeah. But if, if anyone <laughs> is not in this delusional psychosis and has some objective uh, ability to discern reality, then this is a great book that will really enlighten them. And uh, Obviously, many people believe it's a good book. He must have, he's probably coming up on a half a million copies sold now. It can't yeah. be at that level for that long without being a half a million. So it's great. Exactly. Uh, hopefully, have, it reaches a million. Yeah, I, I'm sure it will. I have uh, 500 pounds of Bobby, Bobby's Fauci book coming to my house right now today sometime. What are you going to do with all those books? <laughs> They're for, for our events. <laughs> oh, okay. You sell yeah. them at the events? Um, well, we give them to, we give them to donors and yeah. We oh, okay. That's nice. Great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Alex, thanks for all that you're doing and your commitment to uh, the cause and informing and enlightening people about this important topic. Thanks Dr. Mercola for having me on. It's really an honor and a pleasure. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. You too.